0: I am so geeked up. I mean, I can't even tell you how excited I am. That music gets me, it just gets me fired up because I can see the weekend when I hear this music, number one. It also brings me back to sort of the rock and roll days. And before we even start here, Dan, the great Charlie Watts obviously passed away. Rolling Stone, sort of in the Parthenon of the bands. But you know what time it is, Dan. It's 10.46. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend Dan Nathan. Today's 10.46 Brought to you by our presenting sponsor, SPAC Set, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. And of course, the folks at Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, we're gonna talk about a macro call. And this one I happen to totally dig. Some single stock research calls, chart of the week. Yeah. Mr. Butter's not with us, but he will be back. Dan. Talk to me. How are you? Are you as geeked up as I am?
1: I'm pretty fired up. And our friend, Amanda Diaz, who who, who sets this whole thing up for us at 1046, she knew that she was going to get you triggered with this headline from Jeffrey Gunlock of Double Line Capital. What is it? Let's throw that, that slide up here. The Bond King versus King dollar so guy, good. Tommy. That is, Take us through Amanda, this one. Take us through Amanda this That is Amanda Well, he is the
0: Bond King. He also could be a Bond villain if you look at him. Not a <laughs> Bond villain in the trading sense but like a james bond billion i mean i dig him we've met him we've talked to him he has been bearish on the u.s dollar for quite some time so this is not anything necessarily new but you know he's coming out and saying it again and u.s is growing debt like crazy uh, the strongest economy out of the pandemic has been china i'll say this i'm not going to make any friends um China's playing the long game here, folks, and we play the short game and it's going to work to our detriment. China playing the long game. They're willing to lose the battle to win the war. And I got to tell you something, as we continue to print away, uh, that reserve currency status is absolutely in jeopardy. Not only is this Jeff Gonlack saying it today, but this is something that Stan Druck and Miller said. And see the way I used my dictionary to pronounce his name. He talked about this a couple months ago. He didn't think it would happen for 10 or 15 years. I think he's being generous. I think the dollar is in the crosshairs here, Dan. And I wonder what it means not only to the dollar, but what does it mean to our markets?
1: Yeah, I think it really matters what the Fed and the Treasury do next, right? As we kind of enter out of this crisis that we had that made them enact some very, very dovish monetary and fiscal policy here. I think the criticism has been over the last 20, 25 years or so, after these crises, the Fed overstays their welcome. And I think maybe it's just one time after another, after another, I think these kings of whatever it is that they're managing are just getting kind of fed up and they see the long game and how it might not play out for the US dollar, all that being said, every time we get into a crisis, when we enact those dovish policies, what are we trying to do? We're trying to weaken the dollar here, right? And so we can understand why a lot of countries want their currency to be weaker for a whole host of reasons. But I guess it really is that um, act. Aspect of the reserve currency. Let's look at the Dixie guy because the US dollar index, we know about half of that is about the euro. And we know that the euro has been really weak for a whole host of reasons, especially related to this um, pandemic here. But I look at the one-year chart of this Dixie and I say, okay, we might've just kind of gotten to some technical resistance here. You look at those highs from about a year ago, and that would be a level between 94 and 95 or so that might be really hard to break out from, but we might see a push there in the not so distant future, especially if taper talk heats up as we get into September. Yeah,
0: and we should look and we should absolutely look at the longer term chart because I think this does a little bit of a better job of illustrating where we've been and where we're going. You mentioned it; we've been in this very well defined range, somewhere between 88 and a half ish to 95. Broke through that downtrend line that you drew, Dan. We're up against resistance here. This is interesting. You mentioned um, the views on its, its strong dollar policy. historically, probably since the Eisenhower administration, there's been this talk of a strong dollar policy. (laughs) President Trump was the first person that I can remember that publicly talked about, hey, you know what? We actually, the dollar's too strong. We want to weaken it here. And quite frankly, I mean, he's just being honest and he's right in terms of that weaker dollar absolutely helps our multinationals. But I got to tell you, folks, it does nothing for your buying power because a weaker dollar is by definition inflationary. I think we're at the upper end of the range, but to Dan's point, if we start this taper talk in earnest, it's probably going to be supportive of the dollar. We will see, and we'll see what a stronger dollar does to equities because, as you know, I say it all the time, a stronger dollar, Dan, is a what?
1: Wrecking ball, Guy Don.
0: Wrecking ball, which takes us to yields because you can't talk about the dollar until you talk about yields. You've had a pretty significant move from that 113, 114 low up to levels we're seeing now. Are we? The question really is, Have we seen the worst? Have we seen the low in yields? And have we now taken it through the 200-day moving average? Are we through Dan's downtrend line? And do we go visit, maybe not the levels we saw in March, but that 145, one and a half level? And what does that mean to equities here, Dan Nathan?
1: Well, listen, Guy, you know that you and I are just dumb stock and option jockeys here. And that bond market, um, you know, that is bigger and smarter than our markets, no doubt about it, right? And they sniffed out, if you look what happened in yields in March and early April, they sniffed out that the inflation Argument whether it was going to be sticking, persistent, or transitory. They voted there and rates got destroyed, right? Went from 177 in the 10 year US Treasury yield down to that level of 1.13 that we just made a double bottom over the last month, month and a half or so. So here we are, like you said, breaking out, held that uptrend from last September. I think that's important. So I guess the question is are yields telling us something about the taper and it's about ready to come. That being said, if you look at the long-term chart, we have a 10-year um, log chart here. You know, those generational lows, and I'm doing air quotes here, Guy Adami, from 2012, 2016 that we blew through um, during the pandemic, we are contending with that level right now. That is a big resistance level. We did get through earlier in the year, but it failed pretty dramatically. I think this is a chart you really wanna keep an eye on here.
0: No question about it. And you make a great point. The the market did sniff something out. Maybe it sniffed out the Delta variant. I have no idea. Um, But that move from 175 down to 113 was extraordinary. And, you know, I just mentioned this. You talked about the bond market being the biggest market in the world. You're correct. But if you look at the way 10-year yields are trading and a lot of ways are trading like biotech stocks. I mean, the the percentage moves in 10-year yields over the last six to nine months. Have been extraordinary, a word that i 'm choosing to use i don 't know what it means, I think I do because I do think bond volatility invariably and inevitably leads to equity volatility we 're not seeing it yet let 's see what happens in the fall. but you know Jeff, one of the things that Jeff Gonlock talked about was gold, and I think and i 'm paraphrasing here, but he said it 's in hibernation and that's a great word. It is absolutely in hibernation. I think if you had told me all the things that are going to take place over the last year, where's the price of gold? I would have said significantly higher than the high we made last summer. Uh, and here we are sort of floundering. Uh, we're in this downtrend. We're basically at the upper end of it. Interesting to see if we can get through the 200-day moving average. I know a lot of people think that gold is the next asset class to start to move higher. I found it interesting. And we're going to look at a Bitcoin chart that a week or so ago when Bitcoin had that huge move He actually saw a gold rally as well. First time we've seen that in a while. What are you looking at here, Dan?
1: Yeah, listen. You know, it might be in hibernation guy, but I think this thing is dead. I think the gold bugs from the '70s, the '80s, the '90s—I mean, I think that they're literally becoming extinct, if you will. And you know, Bitcoin at you know a trillion and change market cap, and some of the other assets that people are thinking about as stores of value, I think are going to be the, the thing that overtakes gold over the next five to ten years. And I know um, that might be a controversial thing. Listen, there's a lot of people who think gold's an absolute waste of time. If if you will, also. So I'm not interested in gold here. I see probably a bunch of scenarios where gold heads back to the lower end of that downtrend that has been in for the last year or so. But we got to look at the Bitcoin, the one-year chart here, Guy. You had that that just, I mean, the move was parabolic. I mean, it was getting pressed down there below 30,000. That was technical support here. A whole host of things were going on, Chinese crackdown on mining um, and and a few other technical aspects that were causing that thing to just be uh, for sale for most of the spring here. You had that move. It's a steep uptrend. It's contending with that uptrend now from those recent lows. And it seemed to be rejected that kind of nice round number of 50,000 or so. So keep an eye on that one. To your point, guy, if you have a sell-off in Bitcoin and gold can't rally, get the heck out of gold. That's Yeah, it's
0: interesting. I mean, it is a natural place for Bitcoin to take a pause here. Obviously, you saw MicroStrategies, I think it was announced this week or late last week, they added another 3,000 or so Bitcoin to their balance sheet. I think they're now north of 105,000 or so Bitcoin. We have spoken to Michael Saylor You know, he thinks it's not if, but when other companies, other multinationals add Bitcoin to their balance sheets. We'll see. Obviously, the one you really have to watch out for, I would imagine, would be Apple. And I'm not suggesting they're going to do it. But with, you know, $250 billion or so of cash on their balance sheet, it would be interesting if they just put 10 percent to work in crypto. We'll see. You mentioned no gold being dead. I, I, I don't necessarily agree. But I'll tell you who definitely doesn't agree is the brain trusted Palantir, who we talked about it last week. They announced a $50 million investment, which seems insignificant. I get it in terms of a company that large. But they're not buying ETF. They're buying actual gold bars. We'll see if that's the first but not the last foray into it. But, you know, again, natural place for Bitcoin to take a pause. We'll see if that helps gold. The next thing we have to look at, though, is something you've been all over, is this crude chart. I mean, crude has been, you know, I thought crude would continue to go higher. It didn't. Obviously, you saw a significant move lower. What are your thoughts here on crude? Is it telling us anything in terms of this reopening trade, Dan?
1: All right, Guy. To be very fair, you did call for a breakout. You've been calling for higher crude prices for the better part of the last year. So we had that really beautiful uptrend and that was really mapping the course of the vaccinations and what people thought was going to be a reopening trade and then how coordinated that trade might be globally here. I think it got a little bit ahead of itself in the late spring, early summer here. And now we're in that downtrend. Look at that chart. Look where it bounced off of, exactly where it should have, right? The the low from just a couple months ago, you see that support range down to the 200-day moving average. And now it's content with that uptrend that had been in place from the last um, from the lows last fall. This is a really key near-term level. But, guy, we've got to go back to this 10-year chart here because, you know, we've been talking about the dollar. We've been talking about rates. We've been talking, I mean, what moves opposite of the dollar? And we know what that is. It's been crude oil. Look at that back to 2014 when the Fed started to taper, crude oil got destroyed. The dollar started to rally. So we have this kind of you know downtrend that had been in place from those levels. We're looking at a log chart. It did break out. And now it's dealing with that downtrend, a break below that. And that, to me, signals higher rates, higher dollar, lower crude.
0: We've taken a lot of time talking to macro. So for you folks uh, waiting for us to end at 11, my sense is there's no <laughs> shot of that happening. And if the bell rings, just bear with us. But First call, we got to take a look at, Dan. Obviously, Morgan Stanley upgrades Zoom, which I think is interesting because I do think Zoom reports on August 30th after the close. So I like this. They're getting ahead of the uh, of the earnings release, which is good. They upgraded the stock uh, to overweight from equal weight, $400 price target. I'll tell you right now, there's a huge range in terms of analysts. The range price range is anywhere from 242 to 525 So you can drive a truck through where analysts think this stock is going. Morgan Stanley calls it international growth play, and quite, quite frankly, I agree with that. They were upgraded at KeyBank on July 29th as well, $428 price target. I want to hear your thoughts. We should look at the chart because I think this thing sets up pretty well in the earnings. Obviously, the stock made an all-time high, I think 5.88 or so. We traded down to that trend line a couple times. We've bounced off it. We seem to be bouncing off it again, right up against the 200-day. I think we can take out that downtrend line that you drew Post earnings, what are your thoughts here, Dan?
1: Listen, here's one where this is obviously a great story and a great company. And when they came public, I think right before the pandemic, this company was already profitable. That's not something that we would say about too many high growth tech stories, right guy. And when you look at the revenue growth and how it accelerated during the pandemic, it was crazy. The bear case is that they pulled forward a lot of demand. And when we get back to work, there's going to be a lot of churn, right. And their users Um, to me, you know, I always thought that this would be a great service on a broader platform. Now with a hundred billion dollar market cap trading 25 times, Sales, that's the problem right here, okay? Is that they cannot be acquired. Right. And they have to start using maybe their currency to make some acquisitions. They've done some, they have a lot of cash on their balance sheet, nearly $5 billion and no debt. So I think this company has to look different going forward, especially when you think about what their competition looks like, right? From Microsoft, from Cisco, from Salesforce, and a whole host of other large platforms, Facebook, Google, the list goes on and on and on. So I struggle with the valuation. I think it's a tough play into earnings um, because of the value and because of the fact that we know that people are going back to work late this fall, late this year, most definitely by early next year.
0: Yeah, you just have to wonder if I agree with everything you just said. And if you were to be able to back out that huge move to 588, and this thing becomes a much better looking chart just in terms of the lower left yeah. or the upper right. Obviously, you can't do that. I get it. But you understand what I'm saying. The trajectory has been good. And Listen, I think they've done everything right. I mean, they really couldn't help the move they saw in the stock, uh, whatever that was, that 5.88 move. But what they can help is their growth trajectory, and they can make acquisitions. That's what they're doing. Next, I happen to think this is a good call. I like Zoom into earnings. Salesforce, kudos to you. I think you actually said this is one of the better-looking charts out there. We agreed with you on the show. This is my view. I'm curious to see what you think. Reported earnings last night. The earnings were good. We talked about a herd of unicorns with Julia Borston, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that's for another show. But, you know, I thought what would happen here is we would trade up to and fail that 385 prior all-time high on big volume. Well, you started seeing it today. The, the stock has traded a significant amount of volume already. It'll be interesting to see what and if happens when we get to that prior all-time high, Dan Nathan.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, go back and look, you know, a year ago when you had that massive gap here and there was nothing that, you know, you just, after that, you know, that breakout, I mean, the point is, why did I like that chart? I like the consolidation. I like the fact that it was underperforming. Many of its peers We're in a sort of go-go market here where people are not particularly concerned about valuation. And I just thought when the stock was like 250, there's a great, potential for a breakout. We've gotten it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Guy, whether it's 275 or 285, if you were in this for a trade, you're taking profits up here because at this point, another up day gets you to that prior resistance. And there, it's just not a great risk-reward playing for a breakout to new all-time highs here. You got the breakout of the range, the story's intact, look for a pullback to kind of reload. And I draw that horizontal green line there near 250. I love when stocks break out and then they pull back after some time to that breakout level that's a great place to reload as long as the fundamental story has not changed meaningfully
0: yeah i agree look i think you do it back and fill it out of those levels today could be the capitulation day on the upside which by the way you also see you see it on the downside clearly you also see it on the upside you can see it in the form of volume i think you pull the ripcord and look to buy it back cheaper we got to take a look at robin hood which we talked about a number of times on the show Initiated by a lot of different people here. I'll just rattle off a few: KeyBank, fifty-five dollar price target; Mizuho, sixty-eight dollar price target; Piper's neutral, forty-seven; Goldman neutral, fifty-six. And oh, by the way, J.P. Morgan underweight, thirty-five dollar price target. It runs the gamuts in terms of where folks can see this going. I'm going to say something crazy as we look at the chart. I actually think Robinhood can grind higher here. I don't particularly love anything about it, but I think they've tapped into something and. You know, with that said, you're going to see you're going to see continued growth in terms of users. And oh, by the way, Dan, I think you're going to see continued growth in terms of actual account size. Obviously, not a lot to look at here in terms of the chart. It's a relatively new company, as you know. What are your thoughts here on Robinhood?
1: I'm just not a fan. I mean, like, I'm not a fan of the stock. I'm not a fan of the product. I'm not a fan of their mission. I don't believe they democratize much other than gamifying the stock market, if you will. And so to me, this is not one that particularly interests me. Could the stock squeeze? No doubt about it. Um, With the stock here on 47.5, guy, I think it's worth noting that the -the at-the-money straddle in September expiration, let's call it out a month right now, the 47 straddle, you would have to pay close to nine and a half dollars okay if you wanted to like buy the volatility in this name and really what that's saying is the options market makers are saying this stock could go up or down nine dollars in the next month in either direction that is a volatile name with not a lot of fundamental underpinnings that i think are going to be beneficial into the back half of the year you think about how closely tied this story is to crypto trading I don't find it particularly interesting. What I do find interesting is a name like Schwab. And you know, here's one of the things, guys, part of the bull case for Robinhood is that they have 22 and a half million funded accounts, and that's going to grow. And maybe the assets in those accounts grow also. But right now, the average account size is somewhere in the low, like single digits. I think it's like 4,000 or something like that. I look at a Schwab, they have 32 million accounts, they have 2 million corporate retirement plan participants, they have 1.6 million banking accounts, and they have $7.5 trillion under management. That's how, if you're not charging commissions, okay, that's how you make money off of those. So I find Schwab or like, you know, some of these other more diversified financial services, much more interesting place.
0: I agree with you on that. Look, there are no triple tops and we're about to blow through that prior all-time high mm-hmm. in Schwab. It's a great company and Robinhood wishes they could be one-tenth of what Schwab is. I get it. And obviously the downside for, for Robinhood is the fact that you're right. I think it was 80% of their revenues are driven by crypto. And, and within that 80%, a ridiculous amount is driven by this Dogecoin thing, which I totally get. And the other negative argument there is the fact that if, if payment for order flow were to go away, I mean, that is a death knell for Robinhood. In the meantime, though, I think Robinhood can rally. It doesn't mean that Schwab won't rally. By the yeah. way, Schwab's probably the better looking chart here. We got to look at a couple of these meme stocks, Dan, because they've been off to the races this week. Maybe it coincides with crypto. I have no idea what to make of it. But AMC off the mat and oh, by the way, GameStop, I'd like you to talk about them.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, Guy, you know, we spent the week talking about some unusual moves in the stock market on CNBC's Fast Money. And, you know, to me, I just think that when you see the sorts of rallies that I think it was the day before yesterday where GameStop was up 20 percent and AMC was up 20 percent and a bunch of recent SPACs that have traded very poorly since they kind of had their SPAC mergers were all up and crypto and the NFT Craze and no, make no mistake, it was a craze this week. Okay. Some of these um, NFT exchanges shut down the way, you know, Robinhood had to shut down because some of the frenzies in the meme stocks. That sort of behavior is not particularly bullish when I think about the broad risk taking environment here. And I just think the level of complacency in the markets really large. So when you see the sorts of moves and those were short squeezes in AMC and GM, GME, not particularly interesting. All right. But guys, this takes us to the chart of the week. And this is what we're going to close out. And this is the S&P 500 because you and I, we've been doing at 1046 weekly for the last couple of months. And we've tried to be constructive overall on markets. We try to bring in the macro here. We try to look at a lot of these single stock calls. But things I think in August got a little out of whack. Complacency got a little too high. When you think about the peak to trough declines that we've seen in the S&P 500 over the last six to nine months, they keep getting smaller and smaller. I think we're 210 days without a 5% decline, and look at that thing. What do you want to call that chart of the S&P 500, guys? I
0: believe you would like to call that a, the hungry reptile, maybe alligator or yeah. crocodile. Of course, for you folks that know, crocodiles far more deadly than alligators, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. That looks like something to me. Crocodile, alligator, you call it, but that you're right. That 200-day moving average, we haven't seen it in quite some time. I think we absolutely have to visit it, and historically, the fall has been a very interesting time for markets.
1: Yeah, well, we Man, lost I'm so Guy. i so excited I knocked my is. mic
0: cord out. I apologize. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But, you know, those moves to dance points, they, they come play seemingly out of nowhere. And as we approach the fall, I think we're on the cusp of one.
1: Well, here's the thing, Guy Dami. Wake me up when September ends, because I remember what happened last September here. There was a high level of complacency. People were scratching their heads like you just did. Why these major tech stocks were just blowing out. The options activity was ridiculous. The VIX was making lows. In September, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ each went down about 10%. And some of the biggest names that you know and love went down To X that I just don't think that there's a scenario that most people can envision if you're bullish on stocks right here where that can happen again. And that's the exact time when it happens.
0: See, and you didn't think I picked that up, but I love that green mile band. And let's go to our summary page because we (laughs) ended with you know we we ended with meme stocks because we started with the bond king. And I gotta tell you, it's not coincidental that the demise, potential demise of the dollar, to my point, is leading to some of the rises in some of these meme stocks. I think the two go hand in hand. Jeff Gunlock, say what you want about him. He's a very bright guy, and the fact that he's talking about the demise of the dollar, again, is really interesting. That's what sticks to me. The S&P 500, the top end of the range. Talk to me as we get out of here, Dan Nathan.
1: Yeah, I just think that, listen, you know, we, we talk to a lot of retail investors and you and I have um, a history with institutional investors here. And one of the things that I just routinely see in every market cycle or every bit of volatility in the markets that retail continually, you know, they get sucked in at highs and they get really bearish at lows. And what we try to do is kind of offer a slightly different view in a way is that things are really good. The s and is up 20 percent on the year. There are headwinds. And that's why we start with the macro, right? And there's a scenario where if gold um, were to start going up and rates were starting to go up and the dollar were starting to go up, there's not a scenario in my mind that could be good for stocks. So keep an eye on all this stuff. But um, to me, I think the S&P 500, maybe it's got a little more above 4,500, but after that, we're going to get our 5% um, peak to trough decline and maybe more.
0: What was the name of that album that you liked so much with that song on it? American Gangster or something? Oh, American
1: Idiot. American Idiot. American American Idiot. Idiot. Well, you're
0: not, Dan, and I like to think I'm not. And if you're watching, you're clearly not. But today's episode of At 1046 has been brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. And, of course, Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Next week, it will be September It will be starting, not ending. Dan Nathan, I will see you next week. At what time?
1: 10.46.
0: Damn straight.